Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori, and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. If you've been listening to the show, you know, just like you, I've been on my own personal journey to build my empire. I've recently started a new business called Bia that helps women tackle their period problems and hormonal imbalances using a natural whole foods approach. If you're suffering from extreme cramps, irregular periods, fatigue, bloating, stay tuned because a little bit later in the podcast, I'll share a bit more about my company, Bia. But for now, let's jump into today's episode. I want to welcome this week's guest, Lily Sadugi, to our show today. Lily is the founder of her namesake accessories brand, Lily Sadugi. With over a decade of experience in the fashion industry, working at major companies like Tory Burch, Club Monaco, and Banana Republic, Lily brings a wealth of knowledge to her own brand. She even launched J. Crew's jewelry category in 2005 alongside Jen Alliance, who we've had on the show as well and is amazing, before starting her own line. In this episode, Lily will share her journey of breaking into the fashion industry with no connections and how her experience working for larger companies gave her the perfect primer for starting her own business. We'll hear about her brand's secret to success, including organic marketing and authentic collaborations, and how she's been able to maintain a balance of creativity and innovation while still being the CEO. We'll also discuss how her non-perfectionist approach and self-funding strategies have helped her business grow and thrive. There's so much that we can learn there. From launching the brand from her living room to expanding into nearly 15 different categories in accessories, there's so much for us to talk about with Lily today. Welcome to the show, Lily. Thank you. Excited to be here. Well, I'm thrilled to go through your journey. I know it's going to resonate with so many of the women who are part of our community, but I'd love to start with a higher level question. There's so many people, and I've been there before my entrepreneurial journey, who wait for that perfect time to make that leap or start a business. And we hear the advice often that there's never a right time. And I know that's something that you preach quite a bit. So I'd love to just kind of hear more from your own personal journey. Why do you think it's important that there's never a right time to kind of go after your dreams and goals? When people ask me, what is one piece of advice? And I'm just, I always say, just do it. Just get up and start because there is never a right time. And I think back about when I started Lily Sadugi a decade ago, I was just getting married and a lot of things going on. Personally, I had two children in the first two years of my business. And I was also designing jewelry for Tory Burch. So I had a lot going on and I am so glad that I did do it because if I really sat back and thought about everything that it entails, I might've been too intimidated to start. So it's just really about having a good support system around you, someone to maybe help out with your little babies if you have that. Or, you know, in my case, my husband built my website at the very beginning. So when you have that support, you can do everything. I love this. And we'll dig into this more later in your journey. But because you kind of brought it up so early, having two kids very early in the business, even though that's so tough, it is a common theme that I see with a lot of the women on my podcast. It's actually quite surprising. I'm sure that was a really hectic time in your life. But like, what did it look like? So you mentioned your husband was very supportive, right? In terms, I'm sure he's a supportive father and helped you really build the website, which is huge and a big task, especially early on. But tell us more like what were the realities of what your life looked like in those early days of your business and the early days of your child's lives? 
It's still challenging today. I mean, they're older now, but you know, you're dealing with so many different things. And I realize that that is when I thrive. I, mm. I have to be busy. That is my personality. And I think getting my hands wet in all different parts of the company, why I'm a designer first and foremost, but even my calls today, and I'm dealing with marketing and merchandising and operations and sales and human resources and everything like that. And that's just within the business, as well as all these external factors with your family and your friends and your keeping up with your house and all of these things. So it was, I would say definitely more challenging when they were smaller. The day that they both started to go to school all day was a game changer. And it kind of worked as my business grew. So when you first start, you might have more time. And when I first started, I was a jewelry company. So I was designing that. And now we have about 15 different categories. And when we first started, we were, you know, at a select amount of wholesalers, but I've been at Neiman Marcus since day one. So the challenges just change. At the beginning, it was like childcare and making sure that you're okay. And then now it's different, but it's still as challenging and also rewarding. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's interesting. Like you said, like there's different phases of the business and how your children have grown throughout it. And you mentioned you thrive in busyness and working on different tasks. And that's such an entrepreneurial life as it is. And being a mother, right? You're just involved in everything. But are there any rituals that you have, whether it's like time blocking or are you just kind of going with the flow of the day in terms of how you kind of tackle all the things as an entrepreneur, like you said, you know, you are designing and you're the creative, but you're also operating and you have 15 different categories, which is a lot. And then you have your personal life as a mom and friend. 50 is a lot. 15. 15 sorry. Yes. But if you think about it, how many accessories can you possibly have? I mean, we even just added yeah. little collars like Dickies, AirPod cases, wine charms. We're definitely expanding, but I will love to talk to you after that. If you can think of 50 accessories. I know, I- yeah. 15. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that would be quite a bit. But yeah, I'm just curious, you know, in terms of how you support yourself doing all of this, are you pretty regimented on your days? Are there any specific rituals or are you just kind of going with the flow of life and you showing up as just an operator and founder? I mean, you try to be of the former, but realistically, I'm the latter. I try to be all organized in my meetings. And sometimes, I mean, yesterday I realized that I double booked myself to speak on a panel on two different panels at the same time in two different locations. So realistically, we're just, we're trying to get through it and trying to get organized. And I think that you plan out as much as you plan, but as you know, especially in marketing, things pivot and change hourly. So you just got to reserve a little bit of extra time because you know, you're going to do some last minute things. That's true. Okay. So we're going to jump into a lot of what we're already talking about. Typically, I save it, but I couldn't help myself to (laughs) jump into it early on. But talk a little bit about more of your upbringing. I know you were quite creative as a younger child, which is really awesome to kind of see how you're living a very creative life right now. But tell me more about younger Lily and really what your childhood was like. So I always had an interest in art, whether it was painting, drawing, collage, photography, sculpture. And my parents saw that at an early age. And I can say they saw it in me because I have two sisters. I'm the middle of three girls. Oh, nice. Both my sisters are not interested in creative arts at all. It's sports or it's performance acting. And so They really fostered what we're each really good at. And when people ask if I was competitive with my sisters, 
we all had such different interests that it was a nice harmony between us. And I was giving advice to other mothers at, at something else that I was speaking at. And I think that it's important to see what your child likes. And it might not be what you want to do, but I will say my daughter loves to build things and creative. She's into like building houses and little Barbie houses and furniture and things like that. And I think that she could excel in three-dimensional building, whether that's like engineering or building or sculpture or something. So I'm in the process now of like, okay, how do I foster that? How do I do that? So I was definitely fortunate where I took a lot of art classes. I had the confidence because my parents mm-hmm. would tell me, you're really good at doing this. And I did classes and you can be good at something, but if you don't practice, art is like a sport where if you don't practice baseball, like you don't know what you're doing. You have to put in the time. And I think that's something that people think that you're just born with. But I guess doing it through the years, I got more comfortable, more creative. It's a different way of thinking. Mm -hmm. And you have to train yourself to be more visual. And I think that set me up very well to go into the workforce and do something creative. Yeah, I love that. I love that you didn't have any resistance from your parents and they were just more so fostering you and your sisters and what your dreams were so early on in your interests. So that's beautiful to see. Fast forwarding a little bit, in undergrad, you studied advertising and I know you have, as an entrepreneur, I'm sure you use both sides of your brain, right? You have like your more technical aspects and your more creative aspects. So you have always had that, but you didn't pursue a career in advertising. And I'd love to hear about that first job you had in fashion, I so appreciate the hustle you'd had kind of like jumping into that world because you had no connection. So tell me more about those earlier years right after college and how you really broke into the industry that you eventually ended up staying in. Well, I thought about doing advertising because I thought it was a good blend. Like you said, using both sides of your brain, more analytical and creative. And when I graduated, I realized I just want to go into art. I want to go into fashion And I do think that it was a good grounding to learn about advertising because I do a lot in marketing and realizing how everything's very omni. It's about, are they learning about you through your store? Are they learning about through your website? How can you attract that person? How can you reach that person? And it really did help me. But I decided I'm going to work in fashion. And so I thought, I grew up in Texas, in Dallas, and, and knew I wanted to live on both coasts. So whether that was New York and LA, and then I decided to go to LA first. The truth is (laughs) I went to LA because I knew that I could live better on an entry salary than I would in New York. Smart. At least more square footage. Mm -hmm. And so I went there and I graduated in 1999. And the reason why I tell you the year is because this was before we were really emailing resumes. We were still almost faxing resumes. And I went to the boutiques in West LA and looked up all these different brands and wanted to find someone that was based in LA, sent my resume and started working for a really small designer of which I recommend anyone to work for a small company. And when you work for a small company, you do a little bit of everything, PR, sales, production, everything, design, all this. So after a few years there, I kind of solidified, I do want to continue doing design and I've learned a lot about the industry. And I took a little bit more education. I was in London for a little bit. I went to Central St. Martins, took some courses there, and moved to New York. And at that point, taking those courses, having that experience, I was able to build a portfolio because I you know, studied advertising. So I had a portfolio. 
I was able to use all these beautiful drawings that I had done in London. I was able to do real-time line sheets that I had made in my first job. And that's when I got a job as a designer, Rebecca Taylor. Yeah, I love that. And I think, like you said, you know, getting that exposure, working at a small company where you get your hands dirty in every single aspect of the business is so key. And like you mentioned, you ended up moving to New York, being at Rebecca Taylor, staying there for a good amount of time. But tell me more about, and I'm fast forwarding a little bit because there's so much to cover, but tell me more about your transition into jewelry. What was the inspiration for you kind of transitioning from clothing and Rebecca Taylor and everything you learned to then building this jewelry interest and career? I was managing all the pattern makers and I was cutting patterns and doing meetings, doing fittings and all this stuff. And then I transitioned to trim designer. So I was head of all the trims and all the adornments and the embellishments. And that was probably my love of what I do now is I embellish everything. So I went from looking at the garment and the fit to looking at all the details, like Mm -hmm. the ruffles and the trims and the buttons and the embroideries and the bows and all of those things. And I excelled at that. I was like, that is what I like to do. And I was lucky enough to find something specific within fashion that I enjoyed and I was good at. And so I did that for a few years or for a little bit. And a friend of mine had an opportunity to company and she said, we're doing jewelry. It was at Ippolita, but there was private label and the clients included Anthropology and Club Monaco, Banana Republic, like all these stores that we still shop at. And I realized, okay, that's a good transition to go from trims to jewelry. And then that's where I was there briefly before I had the opportunity at J. Crew. And at J. Crew, I met with Jenna Lyons. And she said, I think we want to do jewelry. We don't do it right now. We're thinking yeah. about doing it. And I'm thinking, and I didn't say this out loud, but I'm thinking, I've only been doing jewelry for like eight months, right? Because I just kind of got into this other company. But I said, I can do this. She said, Come back with a mood board. What is the jewelry going to be? And I was there for five years and built it to a really huge department. It was amazing to start a new category for a heritage brand like J. Crew. I mean, it's huge. I mean, I can't even imagine J. Crew pre jewelry, right? Like you literally joined, started this and put it on a map. And Jenna Lyons, she was on the podcast, is also just an incredible person. I'm sure you've had so many amazing memories with her. But going back to what you mentioned right now is you were only really doing jewelry for eight months. You knew you really loved it and you had a passion. Did you have any insecurities bubbling up in your mind? Because really, you know, working with Jenna and really creating this line for J. Crew before jewelry even existed there is a huge undertaking. So did you have any insecurities at the time where you were like, you know what, I got this. This is a great opportunity. and I'm just going to go for it. It's a little bit of both. I think which I got this was overriding everything because I did it. I accepted it. And obviously it kind of became a big part of the company. So I think that is one of the most important things is maybe having that fostering growing up and really having the experience and not just jumping into it. And thank goodness I didn't just graduate and say, I'm going to start my own business. I had my second education were all the amazing companies that I worked for. So even having that as a background really helped me. And again, you have the support of the sales team, the planning, the copywriting, the styling and everybody And it allowed me to focus on design. 
Hey everyone, it's Yasmin here. I wanted to tell you a quick story. Before I started this podcast, I was working extremely long and crazy hours in banking and then in tech. I was totally burnt out, not living my truth and dreaming of always building my own empire. With all of this stress, it came really debilitating periods from bloating, cramping, extreme breast tenderness and really unpredictable moods. I would always complain to my friends that I was literally out of commission for at least a week every single month. And that adds up to three months in every year. Other than feeling frustrated that my really bad periods were keeping me from pursuing my actual goals, I knew that something wasn't right. Women are not inherently designed to suffer every single month. That's when I learned about hormonal imbalances. I started working with functional medicine doctors who told me that years of stress combined with taking birth control pills long-term created a cascade of hormonal damage in my body. This is why I felt bloated, tired, crampy, and moody before and throughout my period. They recommended I try something called seed cycling. And let me tell you, it's changed my life. Seed cycling is the simple process of using food as medicine to naturally support your hormones. It uses four different types of seeds, yes, actual seeds, throughout your menstrual cycle to support the balance of hormones like progesterone and estrogen and give your body critical nutrients it needs to achieve your best health. Within weeks of starting this process, I noticed major shifts in my period and my overall health. But I also noticed that seed cycling is actually kind of hard to do. I wanted the best quality seeds freshly ground in the right amount, but it was very time consuming. So I decided to create a simple and effective way for anyone to start seed cycling today using the highest quality organic seeds in the right amounts with the right support. It's called Bia, and I'm so excited to bring it to you. Now, anyone struggling with hormonal imbalances can easily incorporate seed cycling into their busy schedule with the Bia Seed Cycling Bundle. This process has been life-changing for me. I no longer deal with cramps, bloating, breast tenderness, or any other PMS symptoms before my period. It's been a complete game changer, and it's allowed me to focus on things that matter most to me, like this podcast and building my own empire. And most importantly, I want this for you too. If you or anyone you know has been struggling with hormonal imbalances or bad periods, go to beawellness.com slash free. Once again, it's beawellness.com slash free to download our free guide to our top tips in tackling hormonal imbalances and to learn more about our seed cycling bundle. We included this link in the show notes along with a promo code for $10 off for all of our Behind Her Empire listeners. I know you're going to love seed cycling just as much as I do. Thanks for listening listening. And now let's get back to the show. And I think you have this confidence in yourself. And even kind of like looking back at my journey, I don't think I've ever been 100% equipped to take that next job. And even as an entrepreneur, like we talked about in the beginning, there's never a right time. You kind of just have to jump into it and have the confidence that you'll figure it out. So it's cool to see in your life, you've always kind of had that theme throughout different opportunities that you've had. But really looking back at J. Crew, I'm sure... And this is a question I have also with your business right now, you know, there's such a quick turnaround and you're involved in so many aspects. Like you said, like the styling, the copywriting, you're working with a lot of teams. How do you continue to foster that creativity? Because you really created iconic pieces there, right? Like the bubble necklace. I remember that, you know, I had that when I was working in corporate America, it was my go-to, but how do you foster that creativity when you are in a quick turnaround and you're working on so many different aspects of business? 
Oh, I was spitting out pieces. Wow. It was wild. And it was also such a fun moment in time in fashion where it was really maximal, which is totally my aesthetic and colorful and more is more and layering 15 necklaces on at a time and 15 bangles on and changing it up every single day. So it was a combination of that is completely my aesthetic and what I do. And that was what was happening in the market too. So it was just like this perfect combination and it all just kind of worked. And I know I was listening to another interview and I think you were saying like you were meeting with a friend and she said, Lily, even when you were younger, you were always like extravagant and like put together. So it's cool to see that you're able to flourish and and show your superpowers in fashion, especially when that was the thing to do, and which I think you're a huge part of as well at J. Crew. But that's super awesome. So there's so many lessons, you know, I believe Mickey Drexler was there, right? Was he the CEO when you were at J. Crew? Yeah. He's amazing. I'm a big fan of him. He's amazing. And it was really such a golden time to be at YouTube when the economy was down, but people were more conservative in their spend. And J. Crew had that price point and the cachet of just quality and everything. I learned so much from Mickey Drexler and he would always just like call you up and say like, what is something that you'd want to do? And I would always say, take the jewelry out of the glass cases. I want people to touch and feel and like have a salesperson right there. And so I took note of so many things that maybe I took with me when I started my own business. Yeah. And I'd love to learn more about that because like you said, it was such an amazing time to be at J. Crew. You're working, including yourself, with just amazing powerhouses like Jenna and Mickey. But what would you say were some of the things that you've really learned from them that you've been able to take on now with your business today? So many things. I had opportunity when I was at J. Crew to do styling. And so I would work with the styling team. I think just because Jenna was like, I like how you're putting things together. Do you want to meet us on Saturday? All day we're styling for the next catalog. And it was super exciting. So, you know, and I think that company is just famous for just putting things together and putting the high and the low and wearing crystals and wearing denim and all of these things that maybe. It's something that also I did at Rebecca Taylor because it was all these frilly dresses and things and I would throw them on with jeans and just kind of mix it up. So I think working at these places, that's probably carried through and learning about color and even naming colors. I would even help out with the copywriting team to help describe the jewelry, to help out with colors and things like that. So it is so much about romanticizing the pieces and putting them together, which follows beyond the design. It seems like you had just such an incredible gig at J. Crew. You were doing incredibly well. What was the motivation for you to leave? Did you always know you wanted to kind of start your own business? Or were there certain moments at the company where you realized, you know, this might not be where I'll be forever? But I'd love to kind of talk about, you know, what was really going through your mind as you were looking to transition out of J. Crew? I was there for five years and it was such an exciting time. And I think a lot of the transition was just also my personal life. I had just gotten engaged and thinking about what is that next thing? Do I want more flexibility? And it was just kind of fortuitous, the timing of everything. And I work more than I ever worked before, but I work on different times and I can work from where I want to work. So As I mentioned too, when I started my business and I had two kids in the first two years, I was able to work from home and do things that might have been more challenging working for a big corporate company. 
that's interesting. So you had this idea for the business. You knew that that lifestyle, which was super fast paced, you were working like six to seven days a week, I'm sure, was not conducive for the next phase in your life, you know, personally with kids. So you decided to start your own business. But I want to hear more about how Tori Birch came up because you talk about that moment in, in your life where you were doing everything, right? So let's talk a little bit more about when you started your business and how different opportunities came because I'd love to dig into that a little bit more. Absolutely. I was already starting my line and I was busy doing that. And then an opportunity just came knocking on the door with Tori Birch and she wanted me to come in and lead the jewelry team and design the jewelry for the company based on what reputation I had from J. Crew. And so I was like, well, I started my line. I'm busy doing that. And she was so accommodating is accommodating to so many entrepreneurs, like keep Mm. your line, do what you do. What if you come in three days a week? What if it's a consulting opportunity? And she made it so easy for me that I really couldn't say no. And I was like, all right, let's try this. Let's do both. And I did for a year. I did until I had my son. And then I just was like, (laughs) that was a lot to a company, a full-time job and a child. So I obviously kept my line and my child and went full steam ahead with that. Yeah. And I know you mentioned at that point in your life that you realize you couldn't do it all. It's not physically possible to be managing your business, Tori Birch, a newborn. So I think I want to just talk about this a little bit more because I think so many women try to do it all with kids or with no kids. And we get to a point where sometimes we're burned out. But can you tell me more about how you realize I cannot do this? Like the realization that you realize it's just too much for me to handle because sometimes I think we push a little too hard and we don't make that choice of, dropping something or shifting kind of your lifestyle? That is a great question. And I struggle with that every day. And I think a lot of women struggle with that every day because you work professionally, you're expected to be at the best and put your effort there. You're expected to be, if you're married, a wife or a mother with your kids. And there's so many different expectations. And I am of the personality where I like to touch all of those things and do as much as I can to be there for all of those parts of my life. And I know, and I'm okay with it, but I'm not going to get it all done. Mm, I'm not going to do it all. I I might be at a hundred percent capacity, but I'm maybe not, maybe at 75% actually like efficiency for actually getting it all done. And you just, you have to be okay with it. And that was a big moment at Tory Burch because I hadn't been there that long. And I knew that I was the right person for that position. And I knew that I could do well, but I would have to sacrifice something else. And it was a steady income. It was a great company. It was a really difficult thing to make that decision. But knowing that to focus on Lily Sadugi was the right move because trying to do too many things, you're just going to fail at like all of them. So you have to do the combination of making it a realistic expectation. That's super helpful. And I think a couple of thoughts just kind of come to my mind. I think running my business, sometimes I have too many expectations for myself that I don't know if it's being overly optimistic of what can be done. But I think what's really interesting about what you said is you love to be part of everything and you don't have any judgment on yourself if you're not giving 100%, right? Like if you're involved with every aspect of your business, you're also a mom, like you cannot physically perform or do everything so well. And I think that's just 
the success of so many entrepreneurs is being okay with making mistakes, with moving fast, right? With like not being perfect in everything. But is that something that you kind of learn along the way? Or do you think you just naturally had that because you've always been working on a ton of things, even from your first job? I naturally am a busy person and am okay not getting it all right and all done. And I have so many friends and family that are very compulsive and they have to finish it. They have to do the project. They have to do it right and would rather do one thing right than 15 things very well. And that's definitely my personality, which I think is somewhat the personality of an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur needs to flex. They need to be able to pivot. They need to be able to change on a dime. You need to be innovative. You really need to be open-minded. And I think that is a trait that a lot of entrepreneurs kind of need to have. hundred percent. Yes. And if you don't have that trait, you'll learn it real fast starting a business. Yeah. (laughs) You might be more frustrated and you might stay up all night because you have to get it all done, but maybe you'll be a little bit less stressed if you think this way. (laughs) Totally. I mean, we're getting to a point where luckily, knock on wood, you know, we're growing, the team is growing and I'm realizing, I don't know if you've ever been, if you felt this way too, is that I cannot be a part of everything. You know, starting out, you're doing everything, right? I was even fulfilling for my house early on, part of every single business, doing customer service, doing literally everything. And I just realized like, I cannot physically in my brain remember every little thing just because the business is growing and that's okay. But that realization that you cannot be on top of everything is an adjustment. But I think that's just part of growth and running a business. And you cannot always be on top of every little thing. And it's just the way that you get to the next step. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. There were times when we were doing our own fulfillment. And when I first started doing my own customer service, and I even had a different name that we would use as Vivian would be the name for customer service, because I was like, I can't say it's me. So, you know, you kind of fake it till you make it. So kind of looking back at the 10 years of your business, what do you think were maybe one or two things that really propelled your business forward and kind of got you guys to the next step? If there's anything that really comes to mind. Yeah, headbands. I started as a jewelry company and just haphazardly, it was like I started wearing headbands because my kids were so little, I didn't have time to do my hair. And it was just an extension of jewelry just on the head and was actually making a handbag at the time with all these jewels and asked the handbag factory if they could make a headband. And it is now as big of a category as jewelry for me. So that was a huge part where we really became super well-known and especially Mm -hmm. for the headbands because there's, there's no one else that has the assortment that we have. It's true. And you know, what's interesting is that I know you as having these beautiful headbands. And when I was digging more into your business, I I actually had no idea that you had purse. I mean, I love it. I was like, I need to go buy everything right now, your earrings, your necklaces, your purses. But that's really amazing. And I'm curious, with the innovation that you guys had in headbands, people weren't really wearing headbands at the time. So what would you think were some of the factors that really allowed this to move forward? Was it timing in the industry? Was it just you being super innovative with a product that people weren't wearing? Like, What do you think really pushed the success of you creating these headbands? I think it's a combination. I truly started wearing headbands because I did not have time to do my hair. And I have very fine hair. And I just felt more polished very quickly being able to do that. And it made me feel better. So I started wearing them. And then I was just not satisfied with anything I could find. 
So it's, it's, that's the innovation where I see something that's available in every day. You have this commodity, but like you don't have anything special or not in a designer way or nothing elevated. And what you find was like something from the drugstore for a few dollars or something very costume that was really high end and really expensive. And so I knew that there'd be a market for that in between. Mm. And at the same time, there were no headbands sold anywhere. There were, well, I was already working with the buyers for Neiman's and Saks and Nordstrom and all those stores with jewelry. And they didn't even have a buyer for headbands because they didn't even have that. So they had to go through the process of who is that? Is that the hat buyer? Is that the jewelry buyer? Who's buying the headbands? And so it was a learning curve. And I think that's what happens, you know, when you innovate in a product that's not out there yet, it's amazing to be first in market because you're known for it and people come to you. And you have to continue to be innovative because people come after you as well and make other versions of things. That's a really good point because when you are first in market for something, it's inevitable that people are going to kind of copy you and create lookalikes of what you're doing. So when you talk about innovating, like with the headbands, is it just a matter of creating different designs and patterns that you might not see? Or is it innovating to then different product lines? Like, how do you think about it in your business? Because like you said, people are always copying when something is new and innovative and doing well in the market? I think you don't stop and you never rest on your laurels and you are just constantly innovating and thinking of something new. And even when I was very well known for the knotted headband, and then I decided to do like a padded one, which like Kate Middleton wore, which was huge. And then, you know, I have the side bow and the skinny and the little ribbon. And then now we have like 12 different silhouettes for headbands. So it's just continuing to innovate. Even though you're doing well today, what can I do for next year? And how do you, I know we briefly talked about this early on, but you being really groundbreaking in creating different aspects, for example, just even look at your headbands, you're doing so much in your business, but is there anything that you read or watch or listen to that really helps you stay inspired? Or do you just naturally have this gift of sitting down and really thinking about, okay, what's the next step? Like, how do you get into your zone of genius as a creative? Because you have created such iconic pieces at your business and even at J. Crew. I wish I had the time or made the time to do that. And I think that's the biggest problem is I don't block off an hour in my schedule, like be creative. And unfortunately, I've been on meetings for I don't know, four or five hours in a row in this chair. And I really do need to make more time for myself. So unfortunately, it's at like night or the weekends or whenever I'm like running around between places thinking about certain things. Yeah, no, that's always tough. It's like the main thing, especially when you're running your business, you're doing everything. So creating that time to think is just always so difficult. So I'd love Mm -hmm. to also talk about you've self-funded your business. It's still self-funded to this day. Can you share more about how you've generally thought about funding? Because I feel like we always typically hear about women who have raised money, but I'd love to just hear from your perspective, how you've really thought about it even early on launching. Well, when I first started, I mentioned I was at Tory Birch half the week and I used that whole paycheck to fund anything I needed to for Lily Sadugi and didn't even need to pull anything out. And so wholesale was a big part of it. And it was a very smart thing on our end to have wholesale from the beginning, use that guaranteed purchase order against the PO that I would send to the factories to buy the product. And so we were able to grow at a steady pace and not really rush or expedite like a tremendous growth, really hire small, but hire smart. Mm, I love that. And 
have two questions there and I'll start with the first one. So you got into wholesale. I know Newman Marcus was your first client and still an amazing client. How did you kind of get into that with your business? Was it the relationships that you had prior, but how did you really break into the wholesale industry with your business? There was a lot of press from J. Crew and things that I was doing there. And so when I first started, I definitely had a bit of buzz and got the appointments coming from there. But you had also had a good product and you also had to be sellable to continue to sell to the next season and the next season and now 10 years later. So I would say the first season I had something under my belt, which is why I said, I'm really glad that I didn't start my business right after school. I'm glad that I spent over a decade working for these companies and honing my skills before starting that. So I had, I had a resume when I first started. So that kind of got me in the door. And then, you know, you get the press out and people hear about it and it starts selling and you just got to keep innovating and keeping up or creating the trends and they will follow. I preach as well. I am so glad I had my past experience. You know, I didn't start my business until I was 32. Three, So I had a lot of just different kind of varied experiences. And it's great to see even for you, how much it's helped you as an entrepreneur. And even like you said, working at Tory Burch, you were doing two things and just really funding your business through that job, which I think is wonderful. Because sometimes people just go for it, which I'm all about without being thoughtful about the financials. And I think it's okay to do something part time to fund the business because you really don't know in the early days how things will come out. So I love that about your journey. And you know, you mentioned something about in the early days, you guys were growing slowly, you were very thoughtful about how you're funding the business with these POs you got from wholesale, and how important it was to hire smarter. So tell me more about hiring, you know, who are some of the first key hires that you had in the business? And when did you really start growing your team? When I first started, I mean, you really want to find interns to help you because you're not making the revenue that you are today. And so I, at the very beginning, even intern help or entry level just to help out with things. And I will say, you know, again, my husband was there from the beginning who was definitely a smart employee, but not a technical employee. And so I worked triple time. I was doing like five people's jobs. And I would say a key hire at the beginning is really operations and sales, because those are the revenue drivers that come in. And then later on, you layer in more marketing and PR. Mm -hmm. And did you find someone so that that's amazing that your husband was super helpful? Did you find someone as your first hire that was able to do operations and sales? Because sometimes it's like such a different skill set. But were you able to find someone who was able to help you with all of that early on as your first hire? Yeah. I mean, maybe I did the operations. I'm just trying to think about that. And I think I had someone that was maybe focusing more on assisting with that, whether it's like sales and order confirmations and just confirming the fulfillment and and things like that. Because we did fulfillment in-house for a while. So we were able to do it. It's very hands-on. I love that. And I think that's important to talk about because sometimes you just got to be scrappy and you ship from your house and that's okay. It's always life-changing when you switch to a fulfillment center. I think that was oh, yes. one of the best yes. days of my life. I was like, I'm free. <laughs> I don't have to like be here and do every little thing till 12 a.m. So that's, that's awesome. To hear. I've, I've been there not too long ago. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. So I, you know, another question I have is if you were to go back and learn, let's say three specific skills, whether it's personal skills, business skills, or emotional skills, you know, what would you have decided to learn in your earlier years before kind of jumping into entrepreneurship? 
Well, I always felt very skilled in design and naturally innovating and looking at the markets and just seeing what people want and what people need in merchandising. I would say those would be my strengths. The parts that I could definitely learn more would be definitely more on the analytical side, more the planning and taking the emotion out of it and really looking at the data and having somebody who is skilled to say, I know you want to do more of these, but this is the percentage we sold last year. We should focus more on this. So that's a great counterpoint that's not going to be me because I'm going to be the more emotional design-led person. And you just got to find that good balance of somebody who's going to feed you the data that you say, okay, I get it. We got to do this. Yeah. And I think that's something a lot of creatives, I know my mom is very creative and she's always working on different passion projects. And I'm kind of that person for her where I'm like, mom, like these ones are selling, but sometimes you can't help yourself because you're always innovating, which is a beautiful quality to have. But that's great to have both of the data aspect and really still maintaining the innovation and design. So I love that. Looking back at the last, you've been doing this for over a decade, which is incredible. What would you say would be maybe at a high level, one of the greatest lessons you've learned as an entrepreneur? I think we touched on that at the beginning, but I think it's just about getting involved in everything and really trying new things and not being afraid like in Instagram and marketing. I mean, one day you see this, you're like, let's try this. Let's see how it works. And you have an immediate ROI and you have immediate sales on something and then you can learn a lot. So I think it's really getting out of your comfort zone and realizing that whatever marketing you're doing today, it's not going to work in three months from now. There's going to be something new, move everything to video, change your paid ads, do something different. So the way that we reach everybody should change and you should not be complacent and you should just see what the next, the next thing is and to stay relevant. Totally. And I think that's a big key, you know, staying relevant. Like you said, marketing is changing, especially with social every single day. How do you kind of stay relevant? I mean, is there, do you have now a digital team that you work with to make sure you're ahead of the trends or you're pivoting quickly? But I know marketing is just something, you know, we're thinking about all the time. So I'd love to hear how you approach it because it is changing. Yeah. We have a whole, we have a whole marketing team and we have in-house graphic designer and in-house, you know, photographer as well. And we are in constant communication. Let's try this. Let's do this. I just saw this this weekend. It's such a creative field and you would be lucky to have people that are really passionate about the brand that aren't just like plug and play that are really wanting to push it to the next level. And as long as you have those people around you, then your products will always feel fresh and exciting and new. And you know, that's the goal. That's true. Having that team that's passionate about what you guys are building. And one one thing that really stands out is constantly testing. It's so easy not to do that. But I love that you guys are always innovating and talking about that. And I think that's a big aspect of anyone's success is that you just need to continue to test to see what resonates and what doesn't. So I love that. So I'd love to kind of close on one question. We've talked about this throughout the interview, but putting a new idea out there in the world can feel very intimidating. For someone who's listening right now who might be questioning their craft or their ability to take the next steps, what would be some clothing thoughts that you have to kind of leave them with after this interview? I think that you do have vulnerability if you are in a creative position because you're really putting what you believe in out there. It's different if you have a more quantitative position or if you're a planner or something like that. If you know how to do it, you know how to do it. But 
the thing about being in a creative field is you could get the idea in five minutes or it could take you five days. And I think you just need to cut yourself some slack Mm. and realize that you might have a little bit of writer's block or you might get the idea and it's a fluid business and you have to just have the strength to know and the patience to like go forward. I love that. It's like having compassion for yourself and then having yeah. the patience and not push. But this is amazing. Well, Lily, thank you so much for joining us. I so appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire.